It's a great honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Christian, so much. We love Christian and Michelle. They're really great friends of ours. Um, I arrived in the country last Monday and went up to New Haven to do something at Yale and then um, came down. Um, on the way down, I had a, a meeting scheduled in Philadelphia on Thursday. It, it, it seemed to be quite busy. And lots of people were in green and shouting, Eagles, very, very loudly. Um, I'd hoped that if I joined in the parade, I would get to see uh, the Super Bowl. But I didn't. Anyway, it's such a delight to be here. Um, it's a real honour. Now, the trouble is, obviously, to come and to talk about the truth of how we love our children. As an outside speaker, you might think that I am some expert. But we know. Uh, the real definition of expert is someone who's a long way away from home. So... Um, this is what my children said. I've got, I'm married to Belinda, who's the best thing about me, and I have three children, Hope, who is 16, Jesse, who's 14, Dora, who's 11. Hope refused to appear on this video, but here's what happened when I told Jesse and Dora what I was speaking on. Hey, Jesse, next week I am speaking at Christian's Church, Renaissance Church, and the title they've given me is How to Truly Love Your Children. <laughs> How qualified do you think I am to speak on Why that? Why are you talking about that? <laughs> Dora. Yes. Hi. Um, next week, when we are at Christian's Church, I am speaking, and the topic I'm speaking on is how to truly love your children. <laughs> What's so funny? So my parents are, and my, my, my parents, my children are here, um, and, uh, well, Jesse's here, the other two didn't want to stay. Um, we know that when it comes to talking about loving our children, for some of us who are parents, this is the thing we want to be known for above everything else. And so talking for 35 minutes uh, about this is, is like trying to catch the Niagara Falls in a teacup. Um, but this isn't just a, a talk for parents or a seminar on how to raise your children. This is for all of us. Because there'll be relationships that each of us have with children, uh, as grandparents, aunties, uncles, um, or just people in the neighbourhood, or people in this church. Um, every single one of us have got a part to play in working out how we are called to love the children that God has given us. And we dive into it and know that there's nothing more joyful and nothing more evolving and nothing more stretchy and nothing more weighty and nothing that induces more fear in us than raising children. And for many of us here who have got the responsibility of children, there are particular things that we bring and are at the bottom of our hearts at the moment with our children. And so as we come and talk about how to truly love our children, the truth about loving our children, I want um, you to think about a particular situation, maybe a particular child, who really, it's very hard to know what to do and how best to love them. One of my favourite stories 
that Jesus tells is in Luke chapter 11, where he's teaching on prayer. And he tells a story about a man who goes to a friend's at midnight. Because what's happened is a friend has arrived at his house and he's got nothing to set before this friend. And the laws of hospitality at the time say that he must feed him, but he has nothing in his cupboards. He goes, he's got nothing and he needs to feed this man. And so he goes to his next door neighbour and wakes him up in order that he can feed this man. Jesus says this is what prayer is. Prayer is not having what you need in the cupboards. And turning to God and saying, you know what I need, I need this. Would you give me what I need? One of the things that strikes us when we come as a family over the pond is to realize how similar some things are. The same brands, the same shops, uh, so many of the similar things, and yet so much difference in that as well. We know the same is true in terms of children and loving children. There's a lot of commonality but there's lots of lots of distinct, lots that's particular, lot that, that we don't do the same as other people in. And sometimes we compare ourselves to others and, and how they raise their children and end up saying to ourselves or to somebody else, well, well at least we're not like that. <laughs> and other times we see how other people raise their children and use it as a stick to beat ourselves with. An example of yet another thing that I'm not doing very well in my life. And when we do this, what we can want and yearn for sometimes is really strong direction, really strong instructions, a kind of manual that's just going to tell us exactly what we should do in every situation. I remember... I don't know whether anyone else remembers um, taking uh, their first child back from hospital. Hope was one, one day old, and uh, we, we'd done all the medical checks in the hospital, and they said, you, you can take her home now. I was like, well, there's no one coming with us. <laughs> On our own. Like, sh- no, surely we can't just leave with a child. Like, how are we going to know what to do? And, and then, you know, strapping her into the car seat in the car and then driving the five-minute drive home in 25 minutes. <laughs> Getting into third gear maybe a couple of times, but then not wanting to push it too fast. And arriving at home with her going, what do we, what do, we do? How, how do we know what to do? I can't believe that they've trusted us like this. And so, of course, in our need, we want techniques and instructions. And there's some really great advice that we can get. And as a Christian, certainly in the UK, there's loads of books and courses and just do this and kind of seeming that everything will be fine. But what you'll see if you read any of those books or those manuals or those courses or those programs is there's a very, very shaky relationship to various families in Scripture. Because if you're going to try and give instructions for how to raise children, you're going to struggle for examples for that in Scripture. Adam and Eve, Noah and Mrs. Noah. <laughs> but, like, she hasn't got a name. I, I tried, I looked and looked, couldn't find a name for her. 
Abraham and Sarah, like really examples of how to raise children? And then we get to the raising of Jacob and Esau by Isaac and Rebekah. What, favor one above another? What, help uh, the younger child swindle the older child? Oh, and then we see the pattern repeated in Jacob who has a favorite son above all others. And so what we see in scripture, rather than ideals and great models of just do it like this and it'll all be fine, we see what happens in families when cycles repeat and repeat. We see these things and we see what we know in ourselves. That it is really, really hard to love our children. You see, I'm, I'm not helped by considering scripture to be a manual. I'm a manual that I just need to, to have a problem and I find a verse for. Of course those things can be comforting for us. But I don't think the Bible is so much a manual as a map. And in the map, every road is love. So which scripture do we go for in working out how to love our children? Of course, there's lots of different examples. There are lots of great examples of loyalty and shaping lives. But for me particularly, I find myself in the Psalms a lot. If, if you don't often read the Bible or don't know where to start, the Psalms are this wonderful book right in the middle, which are these ancient songs, some of them over 2,000 years old, 3,000 years old which the people of faith have found, give them fuel for the journey. In Psalm 78, we read this. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, so the next generation will know them, even children yet to be born, that they in turn would tell their children, and they would put their trust in God. The truth about loving our children, whether as parents, uncles, aunties, grandparents, or neighbours, members of this community, friends, is what we're doing is we're trying to shape the lives of these children so they can be the people that God has called them to be. So they can make the contribution that God has made them to make in this world. When Belinda and I um, were planning our wedding um, and we were engaged, and Belinda's dad took me on one side. Uh, he's a very wonderful man, a very strong believer. And he said to me, Chris, I, I want you really to consider this. I want you to consider not having children. Now, I don't think it was particularly me, although it could have been, that he <laughs> got wind of the fact that I wouldn't be a great dad. It was, the reason he said was, he said, this world is so dark, so evil. There's so many dangers out there. It's just unfair to raise children. I said to him, I'm, I'm persuaded by the complete opposite point of view. Because the world is dark, because the world is difficult, and because there are dangers, we need to raise children. And so the shaping of lives is such an absolute vocation for us, either as parents or as a community. I want to look at this through three words, and the first is the word gift. Our children are gifts to us. Now, you and I know that the way we see something affects how we treat it. So you will have things that are really of great sentimental value to you, but very little economic value to you. But because they were given to you by a particular person or in a particular circumstance, they've got a great weight for you. 
a real currency. And you treat them in that way because of it. The way we see our children and, and receive them as gifts changes the way we treat them. Children are not a test, not a reward, not a job. But the trouble with the word gift is it raises problems because there will be people here who long for the gift who haven't ever been given it. And there will be people who are here, probably, who will have had the gift given and then the gift has been taken away from them, devastatingly. And there's questions about why some are given the gift and not others. And with those questions, I, as many big, particular, weighty questions, always caution people never to believe people who've got easy answers to them. But our children are gifts to us. Often our children are given to us at times when we're tempted to think that we're in control. And so children become a gift to show us that we're not. <laughs> but we love our children as gifts from God. Gifts to receive. Not problems to be solved. Not lives to be controlled. And I think these gifts do three things to us. Firstly, they unself us. Now, I knew I was selfish before I got married. But marriage really showed me how selfish I was. But there were times in marriage that I still had a choice about whether I did what I want or whether I did what Belinda wanted. With children, it's a completely different game. Because when they're crying at 2 o'clock in the morning, whether you feel like you want to do this or not, you get up. Children unself us, and they remind us of what we actually do know, but can so easily forget. Life isn't about us. And so these children unself us, and loving children unselfs us. Children then aren't a chance for me to live vicariously through them. They're not just a new group of friends for me. It's not a chance for me to realize the dreams that I didn't realize myself when I was a child or a teenager. Not an opportunity for me to see through on the vow that I made that I didn't quite see through on. They're gifts not to be squandered by complaining or just by stoic resistance, but gifts to love. And they're gifts that not just orientate me around the gift that's given, the child that's given, but orientate me towards the one who gives the gifts to God. Now, there will be many, many of us here who, in raising children, have longed that from their first moment they would know the love of God. They'd be brought up in an environment that they never ever want to kick away from because they know the reality of God's love for them. That they say yes to God's yes to them. But I myself know that this is given with no guarantees. And my eldest daughter hasn't been to church apart from coming this morning to the second service for over two years. There are no guarantees, no fail-safe, just do this and this will happen. But no parent is required to mount an advertising campaign for God, to do God's PR for him. Because grace is always free to choose and never to force. 
But what we can do, I might not be able to bring her to church, but I can pray for her and pray for her and pray for her. Praying for our children is one of the greatest gifts we can do. What a great song Judy sung for us. So moving, a gift for our children. How do we truly love our children? By regularly praying for them. The other thing that these gifts do for me and the giver is that these gifts are part of God's work in my life. These are part of how God shapes my life and me to be more like Jesus Christ, which I think is, is the aim I want in my life. Now, lots of the time, I find myself thinking that if certain things were in a different situation, my life would be a lot better. So I would be a lot better as a disciple of Jesus if there weren't so many tricky things in my life. If I wasn't so tired, goodness me, if I wasn't so tired, I wouldn't keep falling asleep in my prayer time. If, if those people I worked with, like they're just muppets, like why, why do they do that? Like, I'd be a really great disciple of Jesus if the people I worked with were a bit, like, you know, on the ball. <laughs> Obviously not all of them, like the Archbishop. <laughs> but do you, do you see what I mean? It's like, okay, fo let's follow Jesus, but surely following Jesus, true holiness is probably only achievable under laboratory conditions where we've taken out everything from the world that's difficult and like you know there's no dust there's nothing you know we're all wearing kind of clean white clothes then I'll be a great disciple no 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 christianity is about this life it's about the shape of our lives as they are now and this is where i am called to follow jesus not in some ideal world not in some kind of existence that if i just make three decisions then everything will just be easy but in this world And so receiving our children as gifts means that I can let go of the fact that I have to create them to achieve certain ends. Now, of course, we have hopes for children that we know or children that we're raising. Of course, we have hopes for them that might be about a job, that might be about where they live, that certainly will be about their happiness. But sometimes, just sometimes with me, I've got an end in mind. And that, that kind of holds me captive to what I should do in the situation. Uh, my 11-year-old still allows me to read with her at bedtime. I, I said to people here that if they meet her um, after the service, to, just to tell her that this is what happens in the United States till their children are 18. <laughs> uh, we finished, last month, we finished The Silver Chair, which is a great book in the Narnia Chronicles series. Uh, that C.S. Lewis writes. He, it's about three people who go on a journey to try and find a prince that's been lost. Uh, they find him, and they've been given these instructions by Aslan. Aslan gives them four instructions, and they've completely missed the first three. The last one is that they must do anything that someone asks them to do in the name of Aslan. They agree to this. Then in this situation where they, this, this prince, who they don't know is the prince, says, look, what happens to me when the sun goes down, something starts taking me over, and I have to be bound and restrained. When I'm restrained, I will ask you to free me. Promise me now you will not free me. The three of them promise they're not going to free him. The sun goes down, he has to be restrained, and he says, I ask you by Aslan to free me. Oh. 
What do, we, what do we do now, they say. They turn to one another. And, and what do we do now? We've been asked, and there's the sign, but we've been asked to do something we said we wouldn't do. What shall we do? And then one turns to the other, aware that they don't know what's happening in this situation. And, and Eustace says this. Do you mean to say that you think everything will come right if we untie him? I don't know about that, said Puddleglum. You see, Aslan didn't tell us what would happen. He only told us what to do. In our loving of children, we, we would love to know what's going to happen. But we don't. But we are told what to do, and that is that we must love. Loving our children as gifts means that we say there's no set ends that we're going to go to. That we will, we will love them whatever. And part of our job in shaping their lives is to shape them so they can reach adulthood and maturity and themselves be gifts to this world they're in. Our children obviously know how to challenge this and to press it. Um, Dora, my youngest, said to me about a year ago, Daddy, do you love me? Yes, I said. Do you want me to be happy? Yes, I said. Can I have an iPad? They know the buttons to press. So firstly, our children are gifts. The second word is this. The second word is sacrifice. Think now of what loving children, whether as a grandparent, as an uncle, auntie, as a parent, as a friend, think of the cost of that. And particularly as parents, we know the cost of this. Loving always costs. And there's two particular things in the cost of this that I want to set out. One is it, the cost of being close and being proximate. Proximity. Because love isn't just a declaration. You and I know that. We know that people have declared love for us and acted in different ways. Love isn't just a declaration. It's a commitment. And we know with God himself that God's love for us is such that he came to make our situation his own. That he came so close to us, to be God with us. Loving our children, I think, is about proximity to them, about being near them. Now, you'll know, maybe, that the UK has exported some very, very successful outdoor adventurers, especially Bear Grylls. Now, I'm not a great outdoor adventurer, but I do know what to do if I see someone caught in quicksand. Now, I, I say I know, although I've never tested this out. <laughs> so if you are going on a walk where there is quicksand, it might be best not just to trust my word for it on this occasion, but like do a bit of research yourself. Anyway, what I know is this, or I've been told is this. If you see someone in quicksand, don't throw them a branch or a rope. The way to get them out is to jump in the hole with them and to push against them, create a vacuum and so that you can both get out. Belinda and I have used this in our marriage as an example of what to do in situations that feel overwhelming, to jump in the, jump in the problem with the other person. This, I think, is what we can do with our children, to be close to them. Does this affect how we spend our time Yes, 
Does this affect what we do when we're with our children in that time? Yes. What does that mean about working hours? What does that mean about being away from home? What does that mean if you're separated? All these things. I don't know those things, but will loving our children have an impact on these things? Absolutely. The second thing about sacrifice is that it's going to be painful. There are loads of guarantees we have in loving children that we are going to find great joy, that we're going to be really stretched, that our hearts are going to get really full of love, and that we're going to find it really tough, that it's going to be painful for us. And I know this in terms of my own children, that there have been things that we've just, Belinda and I have wrestled with, knowing what to do in situations and not knowing, and not knowing whether we're getting it right or not, and seeing the pain of it all. But in this situation, this is exactly what love is for. Think of relationships that you've got that are close. Of course, we, we, we want love to be about the kind of the mountaintop experiences, the times where the adrenaline is coursing through our veins, where it's just so easy to love the person. But what do we think love's for? Love's not just for those moments. Love's for the toughest moments. The moments that are most difficult. The moments that are most painful. Remember that Jesus' mother herself is given the words in the temple eight days after Jesus is born, where the prophet says to her, and a sword shall pierce your own heart too. And we know that about God's love for us. We know that God's love for us is characterized by his willingness to suffer for us. So we've thought about our children as a gift. We've known that that gift, receiving that gift and holding that gift and loving those gifts is going to take sacrifice for us. So where's the strength that comes for this? Because sometimes, for me, it just feels more than I can do. Certainly, I don't have, feel I have the resources to love like this. I feel a, you know, a increasingly found wanting at loving like this. And here's the wonderful news. Because remember that whatever God calls us to, he gives us what we need. That we're never left on our own that we're never thrown back on ourselves. The good news is God is with us and for us. So where's the strength for loving our children? Well, firstly, look around you. Now, of, of course, you've done what every congregation does when a preacher tells them to look around them. You don't. So imagine you're looking around. <laughs> Just imagine it. Yeah, of course, more of you are now looking around than when I said look around. But imagine you're looking around. Here's the strength to love in each other. A friend of mine went to southern Africa and lived with um, a group of people in a township there. He lived with them for a month to find out how, how they uh, encountered God. And after a month, they said to him, 
as he was leaving, oh, do tell us what you notice about um, life here. And he, he said, the first thing he said was, he said, I love your idea of extended family. And the person stopped him immediately and said, what do you mean extended? And they said, look, you, you come here from the West with your idea that family is two parents and two children. And you tell us that, that it's, it's not extended. This is family. Because it does take a tribe to raise, it does take a village to raise a child. We know this. This is why it's so brilliant that people are here. Whether you have children or not, if you've had great pain, you know, coming today, if you've lost children, what a wonderful service this is to this community. Your willingness to be in a place that you know is going to be painful for you. We have great strength in one another. At St. Lawrence, in the heart of Reading, we, we talk about being a family to young people. We work lots with young people who've got no contact with church at all, and ours is a first contact. And we talk about being a family, and when these young people come in, they come into a place which is multi-generational, where there are young people and elder people and retired people and single people, but that they'll know that they belong. And here, with each other, we have resources for loving our children. Even a casual look at the New Testament sees that Jesus does something quite extraordinary with the whole notion of family. There's a point in his ministry, right at the start, it seems, that his mum and his brothers and his sisters come to try and get him out from a place they're in because they're worried that he's lost his mind. They send word for him inside a house, and Jesus looks around the people and says, Who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? The people who do the will of God. Imagine being his mum. But then on the cross, what does he do with her as he's dying? Jesus speaks to his mother and, and his beloved disciple is there and says, Mother, behold your son. Son, your mother. As he's dying, Jesus cares for people other than himself. In excruciating pain, cares, gives himself to make sure that he's recreating a community, a family, by dying. So the New Testament radically, radically remakes what family is around Jesus. And this is what we have in one another. But what this also does is it breaks down the barriers of competition. Sometimes raising children can feel a bit like kind of inter-family rivalry. And this can happen within families as well. Parents, does it ever happen that there's a good cop and a bad cop in the family home? That, that there's somebody who's there a bit more regularly than the other one and the other one can just ride into town and take all the credit and be the fun dad. <laughs> we know that loving our children means loving their mother or their father. And we know in terms of outside the family, goodness me, family rivalry, competition is everywhere. In my view, Facebook does this loads. You know, the person that posts just finished reading War and Peace with Felix before his eighth birthday. <laughs> the pictures of the children holding the cups up, never 31st place. The virtue signalling that goes on on adults'
Facebook pages showing, look at what a great job I'm doing. Now, of course we celebrate with one another. And of course, what other people's competences are, aren't some kind of commentary on ourselves. Imagine being a good friend of Christians. Like, my children said to me yesterday, Dad, he can do everything. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> but, but his ludicrous competencies aren't any commentary on me. I can just celebrate the fact that I've got a friend who seems to be able to do everything. <laughs> so this means then that this community can offer us strength. Not because we arrive saying, can I just tell you all how well I'm doing at this? But by saying, oh man, it's hard at the moment. Because we're only here because we're loved. We're here because God's shown us grace. I'm not here because I get things right. I'm here because I get things wrong. And this means that I, I can enter this community and not worry about being judged by you. We can speak to one another and share the things that are, the things we're struggling most with loving our children because we know that we each will have each other at our hearts. So what if this week you can have a conversation with somebody in this community sharing some of your vulnerability about raising children? Rather than telling them where you're succeeding, are there people who here are a gift to you because you can share with them just quite how hard it is? We have resources in each other, but we also, of course, through each other receive the strength of God, but God also gives us strength because he is to be trusted in prayer. That we place our children that we love into his hands and we pray for them. And he's trustworthy with them. Now, when I come to this topic of how to truly love my children, I feel with less resources than almost anything I do. But, but God is for us. And he's with us. And he gives me resources in the people around me. But he also gives me resources through the strength of his spirit. And through the fact that I know I can trust him with them. Sometimes I wonder whether some of my parenting with my children is a bit like Saul and David. David arrives to see his brothers. And Goliath the giant is shouting the whole of the Israelite army down. David says that he's willing to fight Goliath. And so Saul, the king, gives to David his armor. Puts all this armor on him and David can't move. Is some of my parenting sometimes like dressing my children in my own armor? When what they need is they need me to trust God and trust the Spirit that God's going to look after them and take care of them and give them all they need. And they don't just need everything that I think I've got to give. Our children will face giants and their horizons will be dominated by threats. But this is our father's world. 
And he calls us to learn how to love them and to join in that most extraordinary adventure of shaping the lives of the next generation, that they might shape the lives of the generation after them and to trust them to his love. To truly love our children is to trust them to the empowering presence of God who loves them, made them, died for them, rose again for them and holds them and, that, and believe that he is faithful and he is good and that his love is utterly, truly true. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. In a moment, I'm going to give an opportunity, or Christian will give an opportunity after the next song, uh, for anybody that might uh, be stirred, who might want particular prayer for a situation they're in, uh, with children they're called to love. And I know this isn't something that's done that regularly here, uh, so let's just put it down to um, an extrovert Brit. But we have a wonderful resource in praying for each other. And so I didn't want this opportunity of finishing this morning to go without people who know they need prayer to come and to receive that. Christian will tell us how that's going to occur in a moment. But for now we pray. Loving God, you know that sometimes we feel at an end of ourselves with the call to love our children as grandparents or aunties or uncles or as mothers and fathers as friends as neighbours as members of this church community we pray that you would send your spirit to us and empower us to do what we most long to do that we may truly love them and shape their lives to shape the lives of the generation to come in the name of Jesus Amen